0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Ideal Systems Podcast. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Ben about training and training regimens. How do you actually become a better debater? So a little bit about Ben, I initially met him way back in the day in high school and he was easily one of the coolest judges riding around on his unicycle wearing his rock band t-shirts. He just graduated from political science at the U of A. He's very interested in learning about methodologies and pedagogy. He's a debate coach for a few high school level breaking teams. And what makes him really unique for this episode is that he is the previous VP of training for the University of Alberta's Debate Society. And now he'll be headed off to Victoria Island to do a master's at the University of Victoria. Now, with that being said, let's get right into it. Hello, Ben. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Vidika. Let's start off by talking about your road to debate. How did you find UADS?
1: Um, I found UADS in 2014. I think I saw, like, they had like posters in the humanities building. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my friend, uh, Rossi and he was going to go. So I figured I would go to a meeting uh, as well.
0: What did you do in university? And are you still in university?
1: Yeah. Um, I started in physiology. Um, but I quickly left that for political science and I just graduated with, uh, with an undergrad degree and I'm going to do an MA Yay, uh, congratulations. in September.
0: That's really exciting. Okay. So going back to like how you got to UADS. So you went to your first meeting and then what happened from there?
1: Um, so the, I guess for me, like I got like, really into it. So I pretty much went to all the tournaments in the first year that I could. I went to Fall Open. Uh, I went to Deef. I went to Hugel, Uh And I guess my goal was to like get really, really good. And I was pretty arrogant at the time. So I thought that I could get good quite quickly until I realized how difficult it actually was.
0: Yeah, I completely get that. And then how many years has it been since you started to debate?
1: So I guess uh, it's been roughly seven years or so or almost seven years uh, although I took a little bit of a hiatus when I left school for a bit from 2016 through 2018 uh, so maybe it's been debating uh, been for five years or so you could say
0: so a part of becoming a new debater at UADS you left or well you graduated as being the VP director of training for UADS so how did that work and have you had any other positions in the club
1: uh no, I haven't had any other positions. Uh, so I guess the way it works is I got elected last year. No one was actually running besides me. Um, so I didn't have a particularly competitive election, but I hope I delivered on the role all right, uh, nonetheless. Um, I guess the only other like position I had, I like, I like helped coach some of the teams that were going to Worlds and a few other tournaments like informally, um, but mm-hmm. it was mostly practices outside of the main groups. Um, So that wasn't like an official role or anything that I had.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you coached outside of like the university Mm -hmm. debate circuit?
1: Yeah, I've coached uh, a couple of high school clubs. I coached um, my old old high school for a while and I've done uh, a few other high schools around Edmonton.
0: What's the biggest difference that you see between like high school and and university debaters and also the circuit?
1: Um, I think the biggest difference is probably uh, the type of argumentation that they use is different. Uh, So I think that uh, high school debaters have a tendency or at least the the ones that are more um, uh, beginner or intermediate have a tendency to draw heavily on statistics, Googling things and so on, because a lot of the debates are prepared motions. Whereas the improv debates that we do with the 15 minute prep for BP at least um, it's not something that a lot of them have experience
0: with early on you think it's kind of about my stat will be your stat versus okay i need to make an argument almost make a thesis in my argument and then defend that especially because early on you're kind of taught also kind of from like english where it's just like all right well how can right. you statistically back yourself up and it's like okay if i can like statistically back myself up it means I've, i'm going to win but yeah, it completely changes once you get to university. All right, kind of on that tangent. Yeah, so what I really want to talk about today was kind of about training and what you, what kind of systems you put into place with your time at UADS. So I think a good place to start that off would be, what was your initial platform when you became VP of training?
1: Um, so I ran on a couple of things. Um, the first thing I ran on... Um, and this was a consequence of COVID, was simply attempting to uh, retain all the newer debaters uh, that we had um, by providing Mm -hmm. them opportunities to uh, improve in the online context. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to focus on was increasing the competitiveness of the club. And the way Mm -hmm. I, I tried to focus on that was by essentially using all the improvement skills that I learned over you know the five years that I had been debating, using the pitfalls and the um the the um the the steps that I took to improve myself because I found the debate quite challenging, and offering those to the club.
0: Let's talk about those improvement steps that you just spoke about. Like, what do you mean by that, and what are they?
1: Okay, so I guess one way to frame this was that I tried a bunch of different things that didn't work, and so the way in which I tried to direct my training was to avoid all the things that I knew didn't work uh, and focus on the things that didn't work. Um, so when I first started debating and trying to improve, one technique that I thought would work was to like essentially copy all the skills that I saw in the highest level speeches. So I, what I would do is I would like, on YouTube and I would see what was recorded and I would transcribe speeches word for word. And I thought that if I learned all the speeches, then I would learn all the tricks associated with the speeches. Uh, but that never worked out. Um, so essentially through a bunch of trial and error, I discovered um, I discovered some tactics that I think were a lot more effective in, in breaking through um, the early stages of of plateauing debate, if you know what I
0: mean. I do know exactly what you're talking about. I remember initially when I first started debating in high school, uh, I would never like, okay, so you would have these debaters come up and introduce themselves really well. And they'd be like, hello, everyone, or good afternoon, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, honorable judges, worthy opponents, and, you know, the esteemed timekeeper. And for the longest time, I couldn't find my own way of saying those things. So I would write down what the really good debaters would say when they introduced themselves. And I was like, well, if I reiterate this for sure going to get a plus 10 on speaking scores. So then I guess the real question that comes up is as an individual debater, what do you do or where do you start in terms of making a training regimen?
1: Right. So the first thing I would do, uh, or I would suggest for individuals is that you should probably figure out where you're weak so that you know where to target your time. I think that one problem I had was, Essentially, focusing on where I was already comfortable with and spending way too much time there to the exclusion of actually understanding uh, what debate was. So, for instance, um, I think I've always been relatively comfortable with speaking uh, in a, maybe in a stylistic manner um, or coming up with a lot of uh, ideas but I was never quite good at determining which ideas were better than other ideas um, or learning to uh, focus my, my speaking on the most important arguments. And so I think the first step I made towards improving debate after a long plateau was asking myself, um, what, uh, what were my actual weaknesses? And so as a, a debater who's struggling, I would encourage anyone to try to figure out where their weaknesses are because you can only improve by practicing what you are not so What
0: good at. are some common areas? Like if you could think of like three common areas that debaters could definitely improve on, what do you think they would be and what would their diagnostic test look like?
1: Okay, three common areas. Um Okay, so the first and uh, so this is depending on the level of the debater. So Let's talk high school,
0: sorry, let's talk university.
1: University debater, so can we say like beginning university debater?
0: Let's talk intermediate. I think intermediate Intermediate. would be like a better place, yeah.
1: Okay, so for intermediate debaters, I'm assuming that intermediate debaters are already comfortable with filling their time, generating a couple of uh, uh, basic ideas and that those ideas are relatively uh, related to the motion. So uh, the first thing I think for intermediate debaters is there is, they need to uh, often bridge the gap between um, stating arguments that are compelling versus explaining arguments that are compelling, but taking the, the debaters and the judges through each of the steps within those argument to, um, to build it more cohesively. Um, The second thing I would suggest is that I think that uh, framing does become um, more important at the intermediate Mm -hmm. level. Um, And the reason I think it's very important is because I think a lot of intermediate teams in general become oftentimes like become redundant, especially if they're on like front half throughout the round. And so... I think a good way to preempt that is to work on your framing uh, for intermediate uh, debaters. And I guess a third thing that I could say which goes beyond that is, to be honest, probably learning how to make compelling arguments for the, for a very, very wide variety of motions. I think that when debaters mm. reach the intermediate level, what that usually means is they're comfortable with a, a, a narrow group or genre of motions, but what makes or breaks them, especially in let's say uh, rounds four or five, where they need to do quite well, is if those the topics of those motions are quite challenging, Only the more experienced teams will often be able to perform well uh, in those rounds because the intermediate teams haven't had that holistic amount of experience to generate compelling arguments uh, in those contexts.
0: So in terms of actually creating compelling arguments and also just in debate in general, what I've seen, or I assume what everyone kind of thinks of debate is like two-pronged. So one end of that is style and the other end of that is a content locker. So, can you talk a little bit about what each one of those things are and why they're individually important?
1: Okay, so can we start with the um, the content locker first? Yeah, of first? course. Okay, so. And sorry, can you just uh, explain to me what you're sort of, um, how you understand a content locker to so be? Because we might have different. I think
0: a content locker, or at least from what I've kind of seen it as or spoken to people about it as, has been like. For example, let's take a motion. If it's like a motion about history or some kind of econ round, and it's like talking about the IMF, your content locker would have some kind of definitions about what the IMF is, what its role is, the motions likely about some kind of loan that the IMF is giving and how it's going to impact individual countries. So then if if your content locker is even more filled, you'll actually have individual case studies about how individual countries were then impacted by said IMF loan. So that would kind of be a content locker end of things okay
1: cool yeah so I, I, I tend to yeah I tend to agree with that so I think um, one benefit of having a, a content locker I guess some people call it a matter binder uh, is that the process of creating them is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some teams find it difficult let's say you have a very large matter binder it can be difficult uh, to rely on that in the context of let's say the 15 minute prep time. But the process of creating it, especially if it takes a long time and you keep returning to it, um, helps you acquire really, really relevant knowledge that you can draw on quite quickly. And I would say that's probably the main benefit of it. And and the reason is that because like information changes quickly or like new international events will come up, it can be difficult to always have um, a really accurate, reflection of, of the, the state of the world at that time but if you continually add to let's say like a really really long google document then you're doing the learning process which you will then have to draw in uh, in the debate context
0: mm-hmm. right
1: and i guess one other benefit is that it's really really good to know like trends in debate yes so if you if you're doing like an IR debate and um, and if you have like one example of a, of a country in which this has happened, you want to use the argument, that argument, that's fine. Um, but if you can make an argument and you can draw in like, I've, I, I've heard people say like the rule of thumb is, is maybe uh, three examples or so, then your argument becomes a lot more compelling because it sounds way less assertive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know I mean, like if, if you're making an argument and there's, and the, the 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 impact that you're presenting has happened in three other distinct but but analogous circumstances, then it becomes a lot more compelling. So if your matter binder or if your content longer has a sufficiently wide amount of those examples, such that you can have like maybe two or three case studies for the arguments that you would like to make, then I think you're in a lot better position to make. Um, relevant and compelling arguments.
0: What does it take to actually take content you know and create that into an argument? What's that process? Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, so this is where I think debate diverges from um, some sort of like quote unquote real world arguments for a little bit. The, The main difference in my opinion is that you need to be a lot more concrete in explaining the steps the steps that happen uh, through an impact. Um, So I don't know, let's say if your argument is like, if you put this policy in motion, uh, you're gonna cause a fracture in the country and that's gonna lead to civil conflict. Now, if you're explaining that in uh, the real world, um, that becomes a lot more intuitive Uh, Because the person who you're talking to might have like a little bit of background knowledge and they can sort of make the steps uh, for you. But that impact is obviously going to get challenged by the opposing teams. So Mm -hmm. it would probably be be worthwhile, for instance, to discuss uh, each of the powerful groups within the country, maybe like the military or religious or government institutions, uh, the incentives Mm -hmm. of all the major players, um, The timeline by which this occurs, uh, the international actors that would have an incentive in fomenting the conflict, all those sorts of things you need to explain in the context of the debate, but not the context of a, quote unquote, real life conversation. Uh, But if you do so, then your argument becomes a lot more. Um, compelling. So probably within your content locker, it is worth having an understanding of the different players within each country so that you can mm-hmm. give a more detailed analysis of the impact or argument that you want to illustrate.
0: It becomes almost like more relevant to debate versus just being relevant to small talk that you have with people about random things. So on that end, like let's talk about the other prong. What's style right. and how does that like live up to content? And is it more important or less important or equally?
1: Okay, so uh, in my view, style is very, very important. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: the reason, and there's a couple of reasons I think style is important. Okay. So, one reason is that I I think that debate, still in some regards, is a performative activity. And from the perspective of the audience or from the perspective of debaters, it is really, really fun to listen to a, a stylistic or just an enjoyable speech in general. And I don't think there's one perfect style. I think there's a variety of of styles that could be quite uh, appealing to listen to. But it it is fun to listen to those things. And over the course of, let's say, like a nine round tournament, like Euros or World or something like that, I do think that debaters who have a really uh, compelling speaking style might benefit from an increased speaker's point in a couple of rounds over the course of the tournament, and that could bump them up in the rankings. So there's also a benefit to the individual debaters um, for that as well. Um, The other benefit I think for like style is that generally speaking, again, there's no perfect style, but I do think Mm -hmm. that style has like, I don't know, slower speaking, um, more stepwise, arguments, clear organization, it it tends to be easier, I think, for the judges to um, buy those arguments because if the judge understands them more, then that's a good thing uh, in my view. Uh, And so the Ben style, I think both has a benefit for uh, making teams perform uh, better and maybe increasing your speaker scores uh, just a little bit over the course of a tournament. But also, The performance benefit, I think it's really fun to listen to nice speeches.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I also think there's definitely trends in terms of speaking style. Um, Like as of lately, I think I've noticed debaters being a lot more witty in terms of their content, especially when they're giving remarks to like their opponents. And at times I feel as if they're almost a little too personal. So like, what do you kind of have to say about that in terms Mm. of like trends and what have you noticed?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've noticed the same trends yeah. uh, as well. Um, I mean, I think it's fun uh, to the point of like, so long as you're not like insulting people.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I feel like, for especially if you're like an intermediate debater, let's say you've broken into like top room or something, it's round four is really, really important to you. And then, like, I don't know, your OG and OO and, and, uh, and back opposition, they spend the entire time um, insulting you, like that's no fun. Um, so I think debaters should probably be a little bit careful about the uh, the assertiveness of the rhetoric that they use so as to not mm-hmm. make other debaters, especially newer debaters feel uncomfortable. Um, but if you're like, I don't know, if, if you're friends with yeah. the people on the other team and it's like something that you do, I think it's, it's it can be quite entertaining to be honest. Um, it's also really engaging for the judges because like, Ultimately, there's so many words being said throughout the course of a, you know, 45 or, or 56 minute debate. Um, and if you have, like, if you can crack jokes or something like that, then it does, I think it does bring attention to what you're saying in a way that, you know, um, other speaking styles um, might not. Another trend I've noticed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if, I don't know if this is a great trend or not. Well, time will, I guess time will tell. Yeah. Uh, it's like the trend of saying, having like six mechanisms per point.
0: Yeah, like having a grocery that, list.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that, I, I feel like that goes overboard at some point. And the reason I think it goes overboard is because, like, in, I don't know, 80% of the times this happens, three of the mechanisms are essentially the same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I also don't know what the value is of like introducing me- your mechanisms, especially when you only have seven minutes. So, yeah. Are are you really better off taking at least a minute just telling the structure of your speech? Like, is that really worthwhile?
1: So I think I think that introducing basic signposting, especially uh, because it helps them figure out where they're going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It also Lays out the caseline in a way that might increase the likelihood of the judge understanding their point. But for more experienced debaters, oftentimes their arguments can be a little bit more complex. And so doing, you know, one and a half minutes of signposting at the beginning, after the model, especially, probably reaches a point of redundancy whereby you're spending too much time saying what you're going to do as opposed to actually doing it. And I do think that. Good judges are able to uh, f- to follow complicated speeches to a point, point. and so perhaps there is a bit of a there's a bit of an overemphasis nowadays on you know. There's three reasons for this. This point is true for the three you know impacts. I'm going to illustrate four points of framing as to why yeah. we outweigh the front half. If you add up those little like signposts throughout the course of your speech, you probably lose like, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds of speaking time where you could be saying more meaningful content. Um, maybe people can disagree in that, but I feel like it is being a little bit overdone nowadays. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm no, like, um, I, I've done the same thing as well. So I'm not innocent in that regard.
0: Yeah, I feel as if there's always this like temptation to almost in- not just intimidate your opponents but also to just introduce yourself. It's all and also when you're speaking, especially when you're speaking so fast, you're almost talking to yourself at the same time. So when you say I'm going to say say seven things, you're uh, you're also telling yourself that you're about to say seven things that you need to just think right. of in the spur of a moment. Yeah, so we've sort of talked about how like like what kind of constitutes of potentially becoming a better debater. So then in those terms, if we're going to get better at like individually style and content and then marry them together in order to become a better debater, what would like a good or even decent training regimen then look like? And how many hours should you technically be putting in per week if you're planning to like break Mm -hmm. at the next tournament you go to or hoping to break into like that elite category of debaters? So
1: I I just want to caveat this by saying that there are many, many good debaters who don't, okay. who don't break or who don't break at every tournament. Um, so yeah, I really I think it's that. important for anyone listening to this or just debaters in general uh, to not feel like individually bad if they've practiced for a long time and they think they've made improvements and they don't break at the next tournament that they go to um, because there is a degree of chance involved. Mm. And this is the case uh, at every single tournament at every single uh, level. So no matter how much you practice, sometimes things don't go your way. Perhaps you get OG on an op heavy motion or something like that. Um, That is difficult to avoid. So it's really, really important not to put your personal worth on on this sort of thing. Um, But in terms of developing uh, a training regimen. So yeah, I guess the first thing again is to figure out what you are, um, we get. Um, Once you do that, Mm -hmm. uh, in my view, and this is uh, based on just general um, improvement strategies for other activities as well, doing something for a smaller period of time on a more frequent basis is preferable to doing something uh, for a longer period of time less frequently. So let's say you have, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes a day. What you can do within that 45 minutes of time, you Mm -hmm. can prep motion, you can give speech, um, and that speech can be can be targeting targeting a specific area at your weak at. Your weekend. So, for instance, let's say you're not good at explaining why an argument is true. Maybe in that seven minutes, you can use the word uh, mm-hmm. "why" quite a bit to explain um, to to work on that skill set. After you're done, you can reflect on the mistakes that you believe that you've made. You can give the speech again, and by the time you're done giving the speech again, the forty-five minutes will have elapsed but you've targeted a skill that you are um, weak at. And I think that's really, really, really important because the, if you don't do that, then what you essentially end up doing is building up bad habits and getting really, really good at bad habits, but that does not help you improve uh, in any way, unfortunately. To be honest, like not even an hour a day, because I do mm-hmm. think, I mean, it depends on how dedicated you are, but maybe an hour a day is too much, but you can make a lot of yeah. progress by... Uh, going to the debating spreadsheet, choosing the most recent tournaments, choosing one motion off that, doing one speech a day and reflecting on it. And then maybe let's say you don't even have time to do the speech again. Next day you do the speech again. That in and of itself, you can put like half an hour to 45 minutes again. Uh, That can be your training regimen. If you combine that with, let's say, your, your debate club's weekly practices, maybe they have one a week, maybe they have two a week, whereby you can put the skills that you've been working on into a full-length VP debate, all of a sudden you've got a pretty steady training regimen uh, that will help you improve quite quickly, actually.
0: So what is a plateau like definitively and how do we avoid them?
1: Right. So um, in my view, a plateau is an extended period of time whereby you're actively trying to get better at the task but for some reason, the results are not coming in. So example, let's say you do decide to do 30 minutes a day of speaking. You do one, uh, you prepare one motion, you have one speech. Um, you do that for like two months. That's a lot of speaking time. Um, but within the two months, let's say you do four tournaments, which is quite a bit. Let's say that your average speaker scores to the extent that those are um, consistent and that those are valuable don't improve whatsoever within uh, that period of two months you could probably consider that a plateau because I think that over the course of two months and over the course of a couple of tournaments to give like room for error um, you would expect to see at least a slight improvement in your speaker scores or at least in some rounds if it doesn't happen then you can maybe consider that you're in a plateau and maybe what you're doing is not working so the, the first way to avoid them is to figure out that you're actually in them. That's really, really important. Um, and because you can easily not like, I thought for like, I don't know, one or two years that I was improving. I wasn't improving at all. <laughs> I, um, so it's important. So one the first way to avoid them is to figure out a metric by which you can figure out that you're in one. Perhaps your metric is tournament results. Perhaps your metric is, did I break at a tournament after going to eight tournaments over a six month um, period. You need some sort of metric to figure out to gauge your debate progress such that you can figure out if you are improving or not. So let's say that you've established that you are in a plateau. Uh, I would suggest uh, turning to your training regimen. First question you have to ask is, have you actually been practicing or have you just been speaking? Uh, It is very, very easy to speak a lot and not actually be practicing debate. because you could be developing your bad habits, as I said earlier. So let's say that you um, let's say that you think you're practicing what you're weak at. It is probably worth having um, a more experienced debater or a debater that's, that does like consistently better than you, uh, listen to you speak a couple times on a variety of motions, um, so that maybe you can reorient Your weaknesses. Let's say you think your weakness is um, framing. So you spend a month working on framing and a more experienced debater comes to you and says, look, all the arguments that you're making uh, are quite relevant and you explain consistently, see what consistently, why those arguments are relevant uh, and important in the context of the motion. So your weakness isn't actually framing like you thought it was. Your weakness is actually X. Perhaps your weakness uh, is style. Perhaps your weakness is Um, mechanisms, something of that nature Uh, that would allow you to reorient your training uh, in a way that is conducive to your actual weaknesses. Because I think one big problem is that for intermediate debaters, perhaps even for more experienced debaters who are in a plateau, it can be difficult to figure out Mm -hmm. what you are actually good at and what you need to improve.
0: Also, I feel self-diagnosing is significantly harder than it actually seems just because... When you're speaking, for the most part, it's very difficult to actually tell, right. like what I was, what I said, what I was thinking, and more often than not, the answer is no. So, like in that event, if you don't have someone who can diagnose for you, how would right. you self-diagnose?
1: How would you self-diagnose uh, if you're in a if you're in a plateau, right? Um. Okay. So, if you find that you're in a plateau, and you want to self-diagnose your problems. And let's say that you've heard a couple of feedbacks from the judges at the tournaments that you've been going to, um, but nothing substantial or nothing uh, common. In other words, three judges don't tell you that you're making the same mistake repeatedly. So you don't really have any anywhere to work from. Um, One tip that is really, really beneficial nowadays is you can turn to the plethora of online resources because they have things online now that they have aspects of debate that you might not have known existed. So if you're exclusively focusing on, let's say mechanisms for a month and you're pretty comfortable, you're pretty confident um, that you've developed your, your mechanism skills, but you don't know where else to turn and you're not improving. It might be that the mechanisms you provide are good for an actor or a group that is irrelevant in the debate, or they don't actually flow from the interests of those uh, groups. So in that case, perhaps your weakness is something called what what many debaters call characterization. But if you didn't know that characterization was something that is really, really important in the debate, then it would be impossible for you to self-diagnose that problem. And so one benefit from online mm-hmm. resources is that they have seminars on like literally so many aspects of debate nowadays um, that there's always somewhere uh, to turn and if you go through those pretty sure that you'll find something that you didn't know existed or that you didn't know was as important uh, as it is you know what i mean
0: i do know exactly what you're talking about actually also i think with just covid and how everything went online like that seminar that used to be attended by 10 people in like a really random corner of the world now is usually live streamed or recorded and then published on YouTube for everyone to have access to. So I feel like COVID-19 has just been phenomenal for making this online resource platform, especially for debate that back in the day when I was in high school and there was absolutely nothing available. This just didn't exist.
1: Right. Oh, no, it's fantastic. Debaters have been doing a fantastic job and I'm very happy that they're... um, they're posting so much. I swear, like every week, there's like there's like a new training thing. Like Euros is posting or something like that. I mean, there's a list of them on the global debating uh, spreadsheet. There's there's practices as well that people are hosting. So if if anything, um, online debate has has benefited from at least the training I agree. aspect of it.
0: So like anecdotically or mindset wise, what does it take to become competitive?
1: Um. So let's talk about I guess the the mindset first. So um, I think the most important thing is not putting yourself worth in your debate scores. <laughs> I don't know what it is about debate, but there's like this There's like this mentality that if you don't perform well, uh, debate, you're like not very smart or like you feel not very smart. You feel like you're a bad person. Or you feel like you're a bad debater and that really harms uh, your self-worth. And just aside from like, I don't know, the, the mental health consequences of that. It's really, really hard to improve if you feel crappy about yourself. Um, so it's very, very important to know uh, that there are fantastically smart, capable, talented people who do not perform well at debate. Once you accept that, it becomes a lot more easy to improve uh, because you can try a whole bunch of different things if you're stuck, because it doesn't really matter what your results are. Let's say you're working on framing and you say, I'm gonna to go to a tournament and I'm gonna focus so much on framing and you get like a bunch of thirds in a row. Um, if you haven't tied your self-worth to debate, it doesn't really matter if you get a bunch of like thirds in a row if your speaker scores are low, because you've had a good time doing it and you've experimented. Um, and I think over time, if you do that, you'll actually improve quite a bit more because you'll have a lot of lot more tools in your toolbox that you can only to develop by maybe failing it at the first time, but improving it at the second time. It took me four years of debating before I broke quote unquote, on my own merit at a debate tournament. In other words, I wasn't completely backpacked by uh, a partner. And the reason it took me so long was because I was desperately trying to prove, but I was doing like the worst possible training strategies. Um, And so, it could take you a long time, but I think that most debaters will not, it will not happen um, like that. Um, by the time I I first broke it at, at a tournament, and by the time I started breaking at uh, maybe more major tournaments, that was a nine month to 12 month time, time period compared to the four years I had put in prior where I was never breaking um, yeah by myself and so if you have the right training strategies i don't and you have a uh, and you're Mm -hmm. diligent at practicing then i expect it'll take not particularly long maybe a year maybe a year and a half uh, depending on your external factors to see significant success in my view does this mean that you're going to break at the biggest tournaments worlds uh euros and docks or something like that maybe not But I have seen uh, a lot of debaters improve in a relatively short period of time because they have good, smart uh, training regimens. And so if you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're not going to break, I don't think that's necessarily true for the vast majority of debaters. You can improve in a shorter time period. More often than 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 not,
0: the most difficult part is probably just learning how to learn. And I think that's one of the biggest things that university has probably taught me. All right, so we're actually coming to the end of our time. So the final question that I kind of wanted to ask you was, what's your device, oh my God, a device, what's your advice to incoming debaters or debaters who are trying to break into the big league?
1: Okay, um, if it's very, very important you to break into like the big league, and by that, I mean, I see me like mean like euros or something like that, worlds and so on. Um, uh, debate is a very difficult uh game. (laughs) And much like chess, much like music, much like any other skill, it requires a relatively high amount of effort over a very, very long period of time uh, to become comfortable at it or to become good enough such that you can break into that quote unquote uh, big league. So if that is something you're you're interested in, I would probably encourage you to put away a significant amount of time um, for debate to practice at it because it is not easy at the beginning, it's not easy in the middle, and it's not easy as you get more experienced uh, to get better. So it requires a lot of time, but I do think uh, it is worth it if, if that is something that you're interested in, because it is quite rewarding in my view.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for your time. I think we had a fantastic talk today.
1: Great. Thank you for having me with you.